Welcome to the Aptitude Podcast, the place to get positive about discipline so you can make parenting more enjoyable. Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Michael. And this is an exclusive Aptitude Podcast for parents, carers and professionals. On this episode, we explore why your child can sometimes feel deliberately irritating and at other times totally delightful. We're going to help you focus on why mood matters and how it's probably the single most important thing that impacts your parenting. So Michael, when we decided to create these conversations, we wanted to know what were parents' real life experiences, what were their challenges and so with this, we had this really interesting comment from a mum called Amy and we thought we would look at this because she says, most of the time I'm really loving and enjoy my daughter, but there are times when I shout and get so angry and feel totally overwhelmed and resentful of what I have to do as a mum. I hate myself on those days and find it hard to get back on track. So I just thought that was a really interesting point. Mm. I mean, personally, I can relate to that mm, too absolutely. and I'm sure everybody can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm guessing that everyone listening to this will at some point have experienced the contrast between some days whenever the world looks fantastic, children look amazing, and they seem to be behaving beautifully, and other days when it just looks or appears to go pear-shaped and we just feel awful. And I suppose that the question that comes up for me around this is, has that got anything to do with the fact that our circumstances, our family, our children, somehow become transformed from one day to the next to become different people? Or is it more about the way we are seeing it in the moment and how that changes from moment to moment? So what you're essentially saying is that how you think about a particular situation will determine how you experience it and how you feel about it. Hmm. That's right. Um, you know, the, the, the truth is that we're always feeling our thinking. We're not feeling our circumstances. We're not experiencing the world around us. We're experiencing our thinking about the world around us. And of course, our thinking can change from moment to moment. So there are times when well, let's say, for example, a child is dropping food on the floor, eating their lunch and, and dropping food on the floor. So on some, in some situations, you might think that being, as being quite amusing and interesting because the child is experimenting with gravity. At other times, because our, your mood state might be lowered, you might have some irritable thinking about it, some annoying thinking about it, and your response, your reaction to the child doing what they're doing will be entirely different. Mm. The same situation, however, experienced differently depending on how you see it. So it's a perception thing. I, I can relate to that. So so sort of on one day that the food dropping can just, it can just be fine. It doesn't bother you and you take it in your stride and, you know, it's not it's not the perfect situation to be happening, but it just feels really okay and not stressful. And then another day it can feel like the child's deliberately setting out to upset you or something, just, you know, just because you're seeing it really differently. Absolutely. And I think there's a thing to, another thing to point out here, there's nothing wrong with us because we're going to have all kinds of different thinking, you know, mm. from day to day, from moment to moment. 
And we're, as a consequence, we're going to have all kinds of different feelings or experiences. And this is what it is to be human. Mm. You know, we, we, we can't, if you notice a child or notice any human being, there's no point at which they're always happy or always sad. There are changes. There's mm. an up and down roller coaster um, movement, if you like, of experience and feeling for all of us. The important thing to understand here is that, yes, we have, we're all human beings having human experiences, whether we're going through sadness, love, hate, anger, despair, whatever the feeling might be. But the moment we attribute those feelings to something other than our thinking in the moment, then we're likely to be much more reactive to our circumstances. In this case, we're talking about children and how they are and how they behave. What I find really interesting about that is when we, when we remember that we're experiencing our thinking about our children rather than, you know, the child's behaviour, that kind of allows you to stop blaming. So I notice if I'm feeling reactive or triggered and it looks like my child is making me angry or annoyed, then kind of my default position is to sort of feel blame towards the child because mm. I'm effectively blaming the child for how I'm feeling I'm making them responsible for how I'm feeling and I can see that that's that's not that can't be true and that's not really fair Mm. that's a really really interesting point you're making here Michelle because you know why does it look so real to us why does it look like what's happening out there outside of us is making us feel something inside The illusion is a very, very powerful one. Mm. And the reason it feels and looks so real to us is because we have what I would call consciousness or awareness. And this is akin to a hyper-reality special effects department. If I have an annoying thought... I will have the experience, consciousness will give me the experience of annoyance. If I have a frightening thought, consciousness will give me the experience of fear. And it feels real. Hmm. And because the feeling feels real and true, it's easy to attribute what's happening outside of us as the reason for the way I'm feeling. But there has to be some thought in the moment. I have to have... Everything that I experience has to come from thought in the moment. Must do. That's the way we. That's the way it works. And because if I can see that, if I can see that's what's happening, I can see that my child is not responsible for making me feel like this, and therefore blaming them or trying to fix them or change their behaviour so that I can feel better makes no logical sense. Hmm. Yes, it's more respectful of the child. I'm more able to see the child in their experience, and not get caught up in mine. Hmm. Sometimes I notice that if I'm feeling irritated or out of sorts, it's almost like my mind starts scanning the environment for reasons that I'm feeling irritated. So, you know, I might look around and go, oh my gosh, you know, the kitchen's too messy and that's why I'm irritated. But it's not. It's just I'm trying to make sense of the feeling that I don't, where if I don't know where it's coming from. So that's the interesting thing, because sometimes I can have a feeling, but I'm not aware of a thought that's creating that feeling. 
So how does that work? Well, most of our thoughts are invisible to us. A lot of them, I would argue, are habitual. So we're not even conscious of our thinking. But to understand that, to experience something that must be thought in the moment, it's coming via thought always. It's never from the outside in. It's always, we're always generating our experience from, from inside. It's a perception thing. It's how we see it. But then not all thought is conscious, you're saying. Absolutely. Most thought oh is gosh. invisible to us, mm. yes. But that doesn't matter because it's no, there's no need to, to try and analyze our thinking or even change our thinking. The beautiful thing about this understanding is that if our experience, and we're talking about every human being's experience here, if our experience is coming from thought in the moment, whatever feelings we're having are coming from the inside out, we then must know that thought changes. We're always, our, our minds are always changing. Thought comes and goes. Thought by its very nature, nature is transient. It doesn't stay, yes, unless we keep it alive and kicking with our more and more thinking. But by its very nature, it moves on and fades. So that's why one minute you can feel really, perhaps really annoyed with your child by what's going on. And then a few minutes later, you maybe your attention is taken by something else. And that thought about what was going on with the child has simply vanished. And therefore, mm. your experience of annoyance has also vanished alongside it. I can totally relate to that. I can remember being in situations where I'm having a conversation about something and it just feels so incredibly important. And then, you know, they'll there'll be a phone call or there'll be a knock at the door and all of a sudden like that really important thing it's just evaporates and I'm thinking oh wow like come back to it later and go I can't even remember what that was and yet it felt so real and alive and important in that particular moment yeah yeah and I think what tends to happen is when the child reacts and behaves in a way that is upsetting, if you like, or we experience a sense of upsetness, is that we take it personally. It looks like it's personal. Our mm. feelings are generated, if you like, um, and it looks as if it's personal. Oh, the yeah. child is doing it to us. How many times have we as parents said, stop doing this to me, stop being so annoying to me, or, or worse to that effect? It looks as if it's personal. But when we can see the impersonal nature of it, nothing out there, outside of us, has the power to affect the way we feel. But, the, but, but then are thoughts personal? So, so if a lot of our thoughts we're not actually conscious of, and I, sometimes I get the most random thoughts pop into my head, am, am I responsible for those? Thoughts pop in, don't they? Hmm. I mean, do we have any real control over our thoughts? They just come to us. I, I wonder, it would be helpful here to, to, to tell a little story, um, to kind of exemplify what, what we're trying to put across here about thought in the moment and about, about how mood impacts on, on, our, on our given situation. So this is a, an experience I had with Theo, my grandson. This is a couple of years ago, and he was about two and a half years old. And on this particular day, I was staying with his mum and dad. And his mum and dad went to work together at the same time. Now, Theo hadn't ever really witnessed that. He'd seen dad go to work early. And then he'd gone with mum to the nursery and mum would have gone to work. But on this occasion, because I was staying, I was going to spend the day with Theo. And 
and just have some lovely time with him. That was the intention. So they went together. Now, to Theo, this was something quite terrible, to be honest, because he stood at the door when the door was closed, and he stood at the door and he cried and cried and cried for at least 10 minutes. Now, I understood, of course, that here's a little boy who felt very upset about his parents going. He felt a level of insecurity, which was exemplified by his crying. And I could see that he had some insecure thinking. So what did I do? I just simply stayed close. I understood that he was feeling his thinking. He was experiencing his thoughts about his parents going. And I also understood that at some point that thinking would change. I didn't know when, but it would. It would move on. But in the meantime, whilst he's crying, I simply stayed close and I stayed loving. I offered him a hug, which he categorically refused. I validated him. I said, I could see that you're really upset. And he nodded his head and he agreed with me and cried some more. And this went on, as I said, for about 10 minutes. Now, after about this, after 10 minutes or so, he then looks up at me with his face soaked with tears, but a smile spreading across his sweet, sweet face. And he looks at me and he says, Grandpa, can we go and play with the train set now? And he toddles off. His parents all but forgotten. And we carry on with the rest of the day. Now, to me, this is a perfect example of how we see thought changing. His thought about his parents leaving went new thinking came to him and this happened to be about thomas the tank engine which he made him smile and he followed that thought and went to play but the other interesting interesting thing that i noticed around this particular situation was that what i was experiencing as a, as a grandfather in this case so when he first started to cry I noticed the sadness. I felt empathy for him. This little boy who was upset, I didn't, you know, I felt for him. But then after a little while, I also started to notice my own impatience and the thoughts that were coming to my head saying, oh, you know, it's maybe time he should stop crying. Maybe I should try and distract him with something so that he, he can stop crying because it's beginning to annoy me a little bit now. So these were thoughts that were just coming to me. I didn't choose them. They were simply coming to me. And I felt the experience of annoyance and irritation. But I understood where these feelings were coming from. Theo was not responsible for making me feel this. He had no power to make me feel anything. But I noticed them coming through me and I didn't react. And I simply just stayed close. And because of my understanding of where my experience was coming from, I didn't want to blame or change anything in Theo. Therefore, I remained respectful of his needs and respectful of his experience of being insecure, having an insecure, an insecure time for those few minutes. And it was okay. It's okay for him to have that experience. It's okay for him to be upset. I didn't feel the need to stop it mm. because he's fine. And I knew he would be fine. And that's the other beautiful thing about uh, understanding our children. They don't need fixing. And they, they always return to their state of well-being because well-being is already inbuilt. And if mm. you notice, they'll go in and out of 
feelings of hurt, pain, whatever it might be, upsetness, but they always return to their sense of well-being. Mm. They have a resilience, natural resilience that's inbuilt. Mm. Lovely. I think it's interesting how um, how children and adults use their imaginations. So this reminds me of how, uh, as an adult, a thought can pop into my head like, oh, you know, I, I don't want my best friend to ever die. And then sometimes instead of just letting that thought just pass on through, I'll kind of feed it and I'll let my imagination have a little bit of a play. And before I know it, I can be in tears because in my imagination, I'm at her funeral. And, you know, and it's just I kind of amaze myself that that my imagination can go to all these crazy places. So, so sometimes I feel like I can easily misuse my imagination and I think children have a different relationship with their imagination sometimes, but maybe they are just like us. And that's why sometimes children do have insecure thoughts. And it doesn't mean that they're insecurely attached at all. It just means that they're totally human having an insecure thought. And maybe their imagination is taking them to a place where they, they have a thought that creates a really unsettling feeling. They might feel anxious or worried or... But like you say, it just all moves through. And, and I love that. And I love the innocence of that. Mm. Mm. And this, I think this also shows us that how important it is for us as parents to really grow our awareness around our mood state. So we, if we have a difficult situation with our children and we're clearly not in a good place, we're in a low mood state, we might be angry or, or irritated or annoyed, now, that's, that's a signal to us. That's a red light signal that says, don't try and change and deal with the situation right now. The wise thing to do here mm. is to wait and let the mood change because mm. our thinking will move on and the mood will change accordingly. So not to react. But how often do we try to sort out problems with our children when there's a bad feeling? Mm. More often than not. And it generally goes pear-shaped. That's been my experience. Well, one of the things I, I like about your story about Theo is that it felt like there was a lot of flow. So it's like there was a lot of allowing for things to just flow, which is sort of the opposite of control. And I think when we try and control our own emotions, we get unstuck. So we all stuck. And um, I often have this image in my mind of, of, of like a mood elevator. So you know, if I'm up on the top floor in the penthouse, mm. I've got a really good view. Like, I can see things clearly. I can see the big picture and I feel great and everything's lovely and, you know, big horizons. And then if my mood goes down in the elevator and I find myself in the basement, I mean, I literally, my vision is really obscured. Mm. And, you know, things can feel a lot darker down there. But I think a lot of the time, if I'm down in that place... I, it's quite easy to feel a little bit panicked mm. and a little bit afraid. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the basement. How on earth do I get out? And then I start, you know, thinking of strategies or ideas of how I can can move out of that place. Whereas if I just kind of trust that the elevator will come back and I'll just move on up again, then there's flow and it feels more easy. There's less trying, less striving, less effort. And all of that is so exhausting. Yeah. I love what you just said. I think that's, that's a wonderful example of how we move in and out of different states of being, different feelings, different experiences. And that, it is, that is what it is to be human. 
know, we have, imagine if, if we only selected the good feelings in our lives. Hmm. Yeah. If we could choose the only good feelings. And I like to think of it as like a keyboard, a keyboard, piano keyboard. If the good feelings are the high notes and what we might call the bad feelings, the low notes, imagine what kind of music we would play if we only had access to the high notes. What kind of depth and quality of music might we miss out on if we mm. didn't allow ourselves to have the, the lower keys, the low moods? Now, I'm not suggesting we actively seek out low moods. All I'm saying is this is part of what it is to be human. And when we watch our children, these, you know, they are our greatest teachers. When we watch our children, we'll see them move in and out of all kinds of moods. And it's okay. Mm. They'll be fine with that. They, like we did, will start to learn that it's not okay to have certain kinds of feelings. And in fact, we'll perhaps become frightened of certain kinds of feelings. So how might it be if we as parents could be really okay with our own feelings, could really understand where our feelings are coming from, that they're not, you know, that our sense of well-being is not dependent on the world around us being okay. If we as parents could really model that, and allow our children to have access to whatever feelings they're having. And we give them the space. Mm. We give them the love. We create the space of love, support, uh, lightheartedness. That's the environment that our children thrive Mm. in. That's the environment in which our children learn and respond best when there's a good feeling present. Mm. So I think primarily as a parent, our responsibility is to ensure that this is the environment our children are living in. Mm. And in that environment, we can then trust that our children have the wisdom to know what's in their best interest. We can trust that our children have inbuilt well-being and we can trust in that our children have natural resilience. Mm. We see it happening over and over. We don't have to manage this. We don't have to manage their well-being. We don't have to manage their happiness. I think if we, if we, sort of can follow the toddler's example. So I, I, when I look at toddlers and the way they move through their emotions, the thing that really strikes me is how totally self-accepting they are of all of those feelings. They don't have any judgment about having those feelings. We, we do as adults. We have judgment about them having those feelings. And then we have loads of judgment about the feelings we have ourselves. So if I'm feeling a bit angry, uh, you know, I'm pretty self-judgmental about that. And so I, I can see that, you know, by by being more allowing and just being a little bit easier on myself and, and not being afraid of those feelings, I can model that to my children so they don't they don't take on what is a, you know, a massive amount of conditioning to where they believe that certain emotions are more acceptable than others. And, and yet their or our human innate state seems to be that actually we, you know, we accept that this is the human experience. Yes. Children seem to accept it really readily. Absolutely. And we're at heart. We are children at heart. We've just simply learned along the way some erroneous ideas that certain feelings are not good 
Hmm. Uh, and we've learned them for good reasons. I mean, I'm not saying these were bad lessons. You know, we learned them sometimes because we had to, because it was we weren't allowed to be angry, we weren't allowed to be upset for whatever reason. So, you know, we learn, we get conditioned, we condition our thinking into particular beliefs and attitudes. But at our innate, you know, at the core of who we are, you know, we do have this capacity to to return to a place of well-being. We do have the capacity. That is that is our default position. That's mm. what we come back to if we leave our thoughts alone mm. and trust that they will move on and, and not get, uh, uh, not to keep them alive and kicking. Yeah, it's so easy to feed, feed thoughts, especially self-critical thoughts. It's, yeah, I think every mother can and father can relate to that. You know, you have a negative thought about yourself or your child and then, yeah, it sort of invites more thought. And before you know it, you're kind of spiraling downwards into what is essentially just a really bad feeling. And, and yeah, children... Children don't have that same need or inclination to do that. So, you know, if we again, we follow our children's lead, they are constantly looking for a good feeling. Hmm. And why not? Follow what, the good feeling. Follow the good feeling. So, you know, this is, this is what the, ch- the child is doing. So they're noticing the environment they're living in. So the feelings that we have, we as parents... The envi- is, is the environment that our children are living in. This mm. is really probably the single most important thing to understand about parenting, that our children are living in the environment of our feelings. If whatever we say is accompanied by a feeling of, or, or, or a bad feeling, then the child will experience the bad feeling. That's what they'll, they'll connect with. But then that... That could sound like a massive responsibility on us to always be in a good feeling. Otherwise, our children will have a negative experience of us. Well, no, I think that I think it, we, we can make it so. We can make that a big responsibility. Or we can simply say, hey, sometimes we get into bad feelings. Mm. That's how it is. It's okay. Mm. But if we understand that these feelings move on because our thinking moves on, then soon enough, our mood will change. So it's follow the good feeling and don't be afraid of the uncomfortable ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope that rings true and feels helpful in some way. And maybe, Michael, you could sort of sum up the key elements we've talked about. Sure. I mean, in my lifelong pursuit to keep things simple, and I often think the simple things are the ones are the most effective, um, I'm just going to outline two or three points really that I think you hopefully you can take away with you if we want our children to both respond to us well and to live a life of well-being then they must live in a loving feeling and the number one most important thing that we can do for our children is to create a loving supportive and a caring respectful and light-hearted environment okay and the next point I really want to make is that you know, our state of mind is really, really important. So the, the state of mind we're in when interacting with our children at any given time will determine how effectively we'll deal with them. That's kind of just how it is. You know, and, and I know that our children always respond better when we deal with them from a responsive, secure frame of mind. The way we see our children will determine how successful we will be in raising them. So when we see our child as lovable, we treat them more lovingly. And a child who feels loved can't help but thrive. 
Thank you so much for listening to an exclusive Aptitude podcast. Be sure to tell your friends about our Aptitude and Happily memberships. And we'd love you to catch our next episode so you can discover the secrets to setting boundaries with greater confidence. <laughs>